1978, my family moved from Pensacola, Florida to Leeds, Alabama. Eventually, we ended up at the Valley View Baptist Church, and my student pastor was Sam Nugent. So 40 years, we've had a relationship in the making. He was much younger then. His hair looks exactly the same. <laughs> Sam, thank you for today. We appreciate it. I'm going to ask you to start by taking part in a survey. I'm not going to judge you based on your answer. It's for information only. But how many of you have a Facebook account? Let me see the hands. Thank you. How many of you have an Instagram account? Let me see the hands. Sweet. You know that on Facebook you have friends and Instagram you have followers. On both platforms, your friends or your followers can like the witty comment that you posted about the dog or your children or whatever. I have an Instagram account, but I never set it up. I was driving down the road one day and my youngest daughter, Mallory, had posted something and she didn't have enough likes. So she created me an Instagram account and immediately liked her thing. I wasn't going to say that, but uh, she was here a while ago when she left. So if you'll not tell her, I'll not tell her either and we'll be good. Like many of you, I spend time on social media. Today is not a sermon blasting the amount of time we spend on social media. Probably should be, but that's for another day. On Facebook, I've subscribed to several groups. I'm in an ultra-light gear garage sale group, a hiking group, a hammock group, a bridge hammock group, a backpacking group, a 55 years and older hiking group. You get the gist of my list, right? There will always be someone who posts a question or post an answer, and then somebody will respond with just one word, following. They're not ready to comment, they're not ready to answer, they just kind of want to see where it's going to go, and they want to follow along. So this morning I'd like to use that term, following, very similar to that's used in social media, and suggest to you today that there is a difference in following Christ and in being a follower of Christ. Even though these words may not be used specifically like that in Scripture, I think in our culture today, you'll get it. And hopefully, God will reveal truth to you today. I'm going to ask you, if you will, to please stand with me. We're going to turn to Matthew chapter 8. We're going to look at verses 19 through 22. This is the word of the Lord. Then a teacher of the law came to him and said, Teacher, I will follow you wherever you go. Jesus replied, Foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of, the man, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. Another disciple said to him, Lord, first let me go and bury my father. But Jesus told him, Follow me and let the dead bury their own dead. Then he got into the boat with the disciples and his disciples followed him. Father, we thank you today for your word. Father, we ask that you'll use your word and this message to bring truth. Father, today, help us to examine our own life to determine if we're following or if we're a follower. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So we get to verse 19, and a teacher of the law, perhaps a scribe, comes to Jesus and makes this statement. 
I will follow you wherever you go. It sounds like a wonderful moment. Some, no doubt, would be quick to point out that this learned man of Scripture just made a profession of his faith. He just made a public decision to follow Christ. Think about that while we add some context to this passage. In Matthew chapters 5 through 7, Jesus is preaching a sermon on a mountain. We call it the Sermon on the Mount. As we get to chapter 8, there are some great stories. We see power that Jesus has. And it begins, chapter 8, with Jesus coming down from the mountain. And the scripture tells us that a large crowd was following him. It was those who heard the sermon. It was those who were moved by the words of Jesus. And as he came from the mountain, they were following him. They followed, and then they didn't. Perhaps they went home to eat, to sleep, to discuss the sermon that Jesus had just preached. But at that moment, they weren't following. There is a period at the end of verse 1, but I think there's more of a break there than just a period. Because in verse 2, Matthew tells us, A man with leprosy came and knelt before Jesus and said, Lord, if you're willing... You can make me clean. Jesus could have just spoken healing into that man from a distance. Yet Jesus does the unthinkable. He reaches out and touches him. And just in case you forgot, clean people never touched unclean lepers. If you did, then you yourself would become unclean. Unless you're Jesus and you can give instantaneous healing. Leprosy that we read about in the Old and New Testament is not the same leprosy or Hansen's disease that we know today. Biblical leprosy is described in Leviticus 13 as a progressive disease that causes scabs and crust on the skin. It leaves white patches on the skin. It turns hair white and it causes bald spots. The word leprosy in the Greek is the word lepra, and it means scabs or peeling skin. The Jewish word is zararat. It means to have a skin disease. However, zararat comes from a verb that means to smite. So for the Jewish people, if you had leprosy, you were smitten by God. It was a physical ailment. And it was a spiritual malady. If we look to the Old Testament, we can find people that had leprosy and some that had leprosy and got healing. Perhaps you remember the story of Naaman. He had leprosy. Elisha told him to go to the Jordan and dip himself seven times. On the seventh time he came out, his skin was clean. Maybe you remember Moses. God told him to stick his hand in his cloak. When he pulled it out, it had leprosy. When he put it back in and pulled it back out, the leprosy was gone. There were others in the Bible that had leprosy and some who were healed, some that got it because they were disobedient to God. But I never could find any other instance in the Bible where as a source of healing, someone reached out and touched the leper until Jesus. And here Jesus is saying, as he touched him and as he said, I am willing, he said, your skin is clear. 
and your punishment is forgiven. Now, if the crowd had still been there, if the crowd was still following, I think Matthew might have written something like this. Then, there were multiple gasps as Jesus reached out his hand toward the leper. And Esau leapt up and tackled Jesus, keeping the Lord from becoming unclean. It's not in there because there was no crowd. But Jesus was there, the leper was there, and he reached out and touched him and said, I am willing to be clean. Immediately the man was cleansed of his leprosy. Then Jesus says, see to it that you don't tell anyone, but go and show yourself to the priest and offer the gift that Moses commanded as a testimony to them. Jesus tells him to follow through with the Old Testament law for having been cleansed. But Jesus also says, don't tell anyone. If the crowd had still been there, if the crowd was still following, I think Jesus would have addressed the crowd. But they had been following, and now they aren't. As we read on, Jesus heals a centurion's servant. Apparently, some of the crowd comes back because in verse 10, we read, when Jesus heard this, he was amazed and he said to those following him, truly I tell you, I've not found anyone in Israel with such great face. And we get to verses 14 through 16. There have been some that have said in verses 14 through 16, we find the real reason that Peter denied Jesus. Because in verses 14 through 16, Jesus heals Peter's mother-in-law. Mine was just here. I was careful to say, that's a joke. I love you, Nana. Peter's mother-in-law is sick with a fever. Jesus comes in. He touches her. He heals her. And she gets up and begins to take care of them. So far in Matthew, we see great teaching, healing of the sick, and many following Jesus. So as we get to our passage for today, we find this religious leader committing to follow Jesus. I will follow you wherever you go. Words are important to me. Sometimes with upward, people will say, I'll do whatever you ask. And I say, good, could you do this? Well, I, I, I don't want to do that. This man with his own voice says, I will follow you wherever you go. But look at the response of Jesus. Jesus says, foxes have dens and birds have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. When someone makes a decision to follow Christ, it's exciting. When a public decision makes, a public figure makes that decision, we got to tell everybody. I don't know how many of my friends on Facebook posted about Kanye West and his decision to follow Christ. And he seems to be following. I feel like if Facebook had been there back in the day, that one of the disciples would have quickly posted about this religious leader and his decision to follow Christ. We look ahead and we see that Jesus is about to get in a boat to go away from the crowd. You got to wonder, if this guy was to prepare to follow Jesus wherever you go, was he going to jump in the water and follow the boat with the storm coming up? 
I'm pretty sure he was willing to follow. He just wasn't ready to be a follower. Jesus thought so. Jesus said, foxes have dens and birds have nests. The Son of Man has no place to lay his head. This is one of those moments that I think Jesus contrasts for us following and being a follower. To be a follower, it may require you to give up everything you have that makes you comfortable. Foxes have dens. They burrow underground. They have family and fox friends. They're around them. There is food. There is shelter. A typical foxy lady can have up to 10 kits and will use the same den multiple times. Jesus may have been implying foxes and birds have a place to rest, a place to eat, a place to raise a family. But if you choose to follow me, if you're truly a follower, then you may not even have a place to lay your head. As I thought about this passage, I wondered if it took place right before Jesus got in the boat. We're going to see there's another scripture in there. But when I see this and I realize what Jesus is about to do, he's going to get into the boat and go to sleep because he didn't have a place to lay his head. He wasn't going to go home and take a nap. He wasn't going to go in the backpack and stretch out a hammock. He was going to get on a boat and the first thing he does is fall asleep. We get to see in this passage the God-man, the man part, the human side of Jesus. He had been teaching. He had been healing. Apparently he was tired. And this guy comes up and says, I'm going to follow you wherever you go. And Jesus is saying, it's more than you think. Because if you follow me, you may not have a place. He wanted to make sure the guy realized that if we're going to be a follower of his, it's more than following and then not following. Verse 21 mentions a man who was following and who wanted to be a follower, but he wanted to wait until there was a more opportune time. He was thinking perhaps maybe when the kids are grown, maybe when his parents have passed, maybe he's a little older, I have a little more financial freedom, then he'll be ready. And Jesus responds sounding very harsh. He's saying it's really now or never. If you wait, you'll just keep finding reasons. So let the dead bury the dead. You should follow me and find life. Or to the point now where Jesus and the disciples get in the boat, Jesus goes to sleep, a storm comes up out of nowhere. The religious leader was not following wherever Jesus was gonna go. The storm was so intense, the disciples were afraid and they decide they should wake up Jesus so he could be awake when he died. Never understood that. They ask him, don't you care that we're about to die? Jesus gets up and he speaks peace to the wind and to the water. And there is peace. He didn't have to touch it. He spoke peace. And it was calm. And the disciples were amazed. And they decided they were going to keep following for a while. You know, following Jesus can be fun. Jesus took on a human form so that we would know that God loves us, we would know that God has a plan for our life, and that Jesus demonstrated how we should live life. Many of us, most of us in this room at some point have decided to be a part of a group of people who were following Jesus. 
there's a problem. People who are following can become fickle. One moment they're worshiping, they're raising their hands, they're giving away the money, they're going on a mission trip, and then it happens. It's not fun anymore. Other people are dropping out. They drop out. The same thing happened to Jesus in the New Testament. One day they're cheering, Hosanna, blessed is he that comes in the name of the Lord. It's Jesus. And then five days later, those same folks are screaming, crucify him, crucify him, crucify him. If you're following Jesus, you need to realize it's not easy. Jesus calls us to be sold out followers, not just people following after him. When Jesus was asked, what is the greatest commandment? He said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, and all your strength. And love your neighbor as yourself. Love God, love people. The greatest and most important thing you can do. But notice how we are to love God with all that we have. Love God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your mind, and with all of your strength. When we go on mission, we're to create disciples who become sold-out followers of Christ. Not 95 and 5, sold-out followers of Christ. Jesus is looking for sold-out followers. Most followers start out following. And then at some point, they're ready to make Christ the most important thing in their life. So we look at the church in 2020, we got to wonder what's happening. Pastor Davin came five years ago, and five years ago, over 700 people have joined our church. Before Pastor Davin got here five years ago, there were already 700 people in the church. There should be 1,400, 1,500 people here today. Why is this happening? I think it's because we have a lot of people who are following Jesus but they're not followers of Jesus. People who are following attend as long as everything is going their way, as long as they are comfortable, as long as they like the music, as long as the preacher doesn't preach too long or talk about money too much or never changes anything, and as long as the elevator works. They're fine following along with the crowd. Those who are following are just merely spectators at a religious event on Sunday. Jesus had a great following. When he was on the earth, he attracted large crowds. But when the going got tough, the crowds disappeared and only the followers were left. So the question, the question that you need to deal with today is, are you following Jesus or are you a follower of Jesus? As we finish, I want you to sit there and, and decide. Most of us automatically are going to think, of course I am. I have all the religious indicators. I've been baptized. I go to church. I raise my hand at the end of the service after repeating a prayer for salvation. I own at least three Bibles. I grew up going to youth camp and BBS. I give money and I even know who Lottie Moon is. Under religious views on my Facebook profile, it says Christ follower. I've been on every mission trip, church-wide mission trip since I was in the sixth grade. 
You can do all of those things while following Jesus, but still not be a follower of Jesus. What are the differences between following Jesus and being a follower of Jesus? I think we can get a picture of that from John 6. A large crowd, thousands of people were listening to Jesus as he teaches near the Sea of Galilee. At the end of the day, Jesus decides to feed them. You know the story. He takes a little boy's lunch. He prays. He blesses it. They give it to over 5,000 men, not even counting the women and the children. And when the people saw what Jesus had done, they were impressed and they wanted to make him king right there on the spot. Imagine having a king that can provide free food for everyone. That'd be awesome. But Jesus knew what they were thinking and he slipped away. Because he didn't come here to be an earthly king. He didn't come here because people needed free food. The next morning the crowd realized Jesus wasn't there and they go looking for him. They found him on the far side of the lake and they asked Jesus for another free lunch. Jesus makes it clear that they're looking for the wrong thing. In John 6, 26, Jesus says, I tell you the truth. You want to be with me because I fed you, not because you understood the miraculous signs. But don't be concerned about perishable things like food. Spend your energy seeking the eternal life that the Son of Man can give you. Did you hear it? Not because you understood the miraculous signs. You weren't looking for me because you understood what I was doing. So there was a reason for the miracles. And the reason didn't involve people getting free food and it didn't involve people being a part of a group that was following him. The crowd was following Jesus to get a free lunch. Jesus is saying, buffet is closed. You missed the point. Stop thinking about food and start thinking about the eternal life that I can give you. They continued to miss the point. Something I think that all people were prone to do. They kept asking for free food. So Jesus began talking about the bread of God that gives life to the world. And they said, give us that bread every day. In verse 35 of chapter 6, Jesus says, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never be hungry again. Whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. That's not what they wanted to hear. So the people began to grumble. Suddenly, Jesus is the only thing on the menu. They wanted real food, a free lunch, not mumbo-jumbo about Jesus being the bread alive. They're not happy. If Jesus was going to get the crowd following him, he needs to rethink his business model. Rather than smoothing this out, Jesus makes it worse. He goes on to say, I tell you the truth, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you cannot have eternal life within you. But anyone who eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life. And I will raise that person at the last day. For my flesh is the true food and my blood is the true drink. That finished them off. They didn't want to hear that. Not only was the buffet closed, now Jesus is just talking crazy. Eat his flesh, drink his blood. What's he thinking? We skip down to verse 66 of chapter 6. At this point, many of his disciples turned away and deserted him. Then Jesus turned to the twelve and asked, Are you also going to leave? Simon Peter replied, Lord, to whom would we go? You have the words that give eternal life. Those who were following Jesus 
suddenly weren't. They just left. Those who yesterday wanted to make him king are now walking away grumbling and unhappy. You know what I find interesting? Jesus doesn't chase after them. He didn't soften his message to make it more appealing. He's just kidding. Y'all come back. Hey, today I got fish tacos. Jesus seemed to be okay that his popularity just took a hit. It wasn't the size of the crowd that Jesus cared about. It was the level of their commitment. This isn't the only time something like that happened. When crowds gathered, Jesus would often say things that sent people heading for home. In Luke 14, 25, a large crowd was following Jesus. And he turned around and said to them, if you want to be my disciple, you must hate everyone else by comparison. Your father, your mother, your wife, your children, your brothers and sisters, yes, even your own life. Otherwise, you cannot be my disciple. And if you do not carry your own cross and follow me, you cannot be my disciple. A big crowd is following Jesus. And he starts telling them to hate their mama. That's a sure way to thin out a crowd. And then he told them, in addition, you need to carry your own cross. Didn't he realize that only criminals carried the cross? And when they carried the cross, they weren't going to a picnic. They were going to die. It's probably not the best speech for recruiting if you're recruiting a following. Pretty straight on point if you're recruiting followers. Dietrich Bonhoeffer in his book, The Cost of Discipleship, said this. When Christ calls a man, he bids him to come and die. Many were following Jesus. So the term crowd is often used. Jesus didn't just want men to be a part of a group following him. He wanted followers. And it wasn't just the crowds that Jesus challenged. He challenged individuals too. Remember the story of the rich young ruler in Luke 18? He asked Jesus, hey, what's it take to be one of your followers? And Jesus said, be obedient. I said, I eat obedience for lunch and supper. I not only know the rules, I follow them. It's one righteous dude. I'm sure the disciples were thinking, we need to sign this guy up. He'd make a great addition to our group. But Jesus know, knew that this young man was just following. And he needed to be a follower. So he tells them there's one thing that you lack. Jesus said, go and sell your possessions and give the money to the poor. Then come follow me. And you know, the young man walked away sad because he couldn't let go of his stuff. He was fine at following, but he wasn't willing to be a follower. I'm sure the disciples were thinking, Jesus, what's wrong with you? This guy's awesome. We could have used the cash. You should have told him to bring his money and come and, and go with us. But Jesus isn't looking for individuals who are just interested in following him. He's looking for followers. Are you a follower of Jesus? Those who are following often looked like followers. They admired Jesus. They listened to Jesus. They participated. They were part of something. Is any of that bad? No. The disciples were following Jesus. Judas was following Jesus. The question is at what point did the disciples stop following and become followers? 
I think we can answer that with this scripture. Romans 10, 9 and 10. If you declare with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is with the mouth, for it is with your heart that you believe and are justified. And it's with your mouth that you profess your faith and are saved. At what point did they go from following to follower? I think it was after the resurrection. Because the resurrection changes everything. During the trial, Peter denied knowing Christ. It's what falling gets you. The disciples ran and hid. They had been following the longest. They knew things that other people didn't know. They saw things other people would never get to see. But when it got really tough, they ran and hid. But after the resurrection, they followed. They gave up their lives proclaiming the gospel. So what's that mean for us? I'm glad you're here today. And I hope you're self-examining even now. Some of you are followers. Some of you are following. There's a group out there that doesn't even attempt to be a follower or following. And that's the group we love to share our faith with. They're usually the ones that are pretty easy to identify because they don't believe. In Crossover Birmingham, we went door to door in Pelham, Helena, and Alabaster. And residents self-identified themselves as atheists, agnostics, witches, Buddhists, and a former Methodist preacher who didn't believe in hell. I have a friend who's convinced that he will never stand before God and that he will never live forever. He thinks he will live and die, and he thinks I'm a fool for thinking differently. Unless he heeds the word of God, he will spend eternity in hell. He says he doesn't care because he doesn't believe in hell. But at least he's taken an honest evaluation of who he is. There's another group I'm also worried about. And these are the ones who are following Jesus. But they're not followers of Jesus. In 1978, Michael Hart, he was an astrophysicist, a historian, he published a book, it was controversial back then. The book was called The 100, a ranking of the most influential persons in history. Unsurprisingly, Jesus made the list. He was third. He was third behind Mohammed and Sir Isaac Newton. You can imagine, Christians got upset. So Hart acknowledged that Jesus' teachings were surely among the most remarkable and original ethical ideas ever presented. But he continued, if they were widely followed, I would have no hesitation in placing Jesus first in this book. You see, in Hart's opinion, Jesus' influence on the world had been diminished by those who claimed to follow him but did not abide in his teaching. In other words, there were many who were following, but few were followers. Jesus knew this was going to happen. In Matthew 7, he says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, didn't we prophesy in your name and drive out demons in your name and perform many miracles? Then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. So how do you become a follower of Jesus? 
Number one, to be a follower of Jesus, you ready? You must follow Jesus. You become his disciple. You're his apprentice. My junior year of high school, I went to work for a brick mason. It was a tough summer. I labored all summer long. He taught me how to mix mortar mix correctly, how to build scaffolding, how to load scaffolding, how to spread mud, eventually how to lay brick, how to lay uh, block to a line. At times, he seemed brutal, allowing for no mistakes. That first couple of weeks, I spilled several wheelbarrows full of mud. But as I grew stronger, I made less mistakes. Occasionally, I would even get to work without him watching me like a hawk. He was always afraid that I would mess up and ruin his reputation as a fine mason. By the end of my senior year, I was doing side jobs on my own. I can still lay brick. It's not as pretty anymore. But I haven't forgotten what he taught me. Followers are apprentices. We serve a master. It's all about him. And it's not about us. The reason many won't go from following to follower is they refuse to give up control of their lives. If you aren't willing to give up control of your life, then you are not a follower of Christ. A follower desires, wants, craves the things of God. So first and foremost, a follower is a disciple. Secondly, a follower is faithful. There are so many times the crowd was following and then they weren't. As followers, you are to do everything you do like you were doing it for the Lord. We are to be faithful in our personal walk with God through prayer, Bible study, scripture memorization, sharing the gospel, being on mission, being generous, doing ministry, having character. We're also faithful in our attendance. As a body combined, First Baptist Church Pelham believers attend Sunday school about 50% of the time. Pastor Davin in the discovery class shares this. Our members who are aged 60 to 7 attend Bible study about 56% of the time. Ages 50 to 60 attend 47%. Ages 40 to 50 attend 44%. Ages 30 to 40 attend Bible study 40%. And ages 20 to 30 attend 24% of the time. As a staff, our heart, our passion is for our members to be faithful. Defining faithful is 75% of the time to Sunday school, worship, Bible study, work of God. The third characteristic of a follower is they are filled by the Spirit. A group following after Christ can be wowed at His power. A follower of Christ is filled with that power. Growing up Baptist, there were many years that we shrank away from any talk about being Spirit-filled. There seemed to be some uncomfortableness, a fear that maybe someone would speak in tongues or grab a snake. I hope you're not uncomfortable talking about the Holy Spirit. In fact, I hope you were seeking every day to be filled with the Spirit. God's Spirit in us allows us to do God-sized things. Those following Christ are usually content to see people trying their best for God. In experiencing God, Henry Blackaby states this, what our world is often seeing in our day is a devoted, committed Christian serving God. But they are not seeing God. 
they comment on what we are doing. Wow, there's a wonderful, dedicated, committed group of people serving God. They, however, do not see anything happening that can only be explained in terms of the activity of God. Why? Because we are not attempting anything that only God can do. God sent us the Holy Spirit so, we could, so he could continue to work through us. When is the last time God did something through you that could only be attributed to God? Followers empty themselves every day so that God can be manifested in their life. Are you a follower? Are you still following? Hebrews 5 says, we have much to say about this and it's hard to make it clear to you because you no longer try to understand. In fact, though this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you the elementary truths of God's word all over again. You need milk, not solid food. Anyone who lives on milk, still being an infant, is not acquainted with the teaching about righteousness. But solid food is for the mature, who by constant use have trained themselves to distinguish good from evil. I think he was talking to a group who was committed to following, who should have been followers. Followers who are filled with the Spirit, mature. They grow in their faith and they follow more closely. Several weeks ago, we had a harvest day. As the staff, we prayed for several salvations. An interesting thing happened. A handful of FBC members came forward. At first, we thought, hey, they finally got saved. As we followed up, they were all saved. And almost everyone said, and this is a Donnie paraphrase, but if you ask them, it'll be true. I've been following, and I'm ready to be a follower. They identified they needed God to be in charge of their lives. This message isn't intended to make you second guess your relationship with God. Don't misunderstand. You need to know that you know that you know. But I'm praying that today you will have peace that comes from being a true, sold out, 100% follower of Jesus Christ. As we go into 2020, many of you will make a New Year's resolution. I wish you well in your decision to lose weight, go to the gym more, eat less sugar, or whatever. I pray in 2020 that this is the year you decide to be a resolute follower of Christ. As we close, we'll offer an invitation. It's an opportunity for you to make any decision that you made public. If you're in another church, you believe God is calling you to be a part of the believers here, then you can join the church today. Maybe today you just need to verbalize. You know, I just need to start following. Or maybe today you need to say, I'm tired of just following. And I'm ready to commit to be a follower. Stand with me as we pray. Father God, I thank you for today. I thank you for the opportunity to stand in this place and to speak words of truth. Father, I know that they're hard words because it causes us to search and to see if your spirit is telling us whether or not we're followers or following. Father, I pray that your word today will not return void. I pray that lives will be changed. In Jesus' name I pray, 